Hey guys, it's Lisa, and you're listening to What's Next with Lisa. Welcome to episode 22. Today's July 20th, 2020. And this is the third installment of the series I'm doing about attachment styles. And I wanted to do a series focused just on attachment styles so we could take a look at how we're attaching in relationships, what's working for us, and what isn't. So welcome to episode 22. Um, Like I said, this is the third part. We're going to do one more about secure attachment coming up next, but we are going to um, talk today about dismissive avoidant attachment style. And people with this attachment style usually come off as fiercely independent, Um, but that independence usually stems from a really big insecurity and really low self-esteem. And so what we're going to talk about today is we're going to talk about what it looks like, how to identify it, where it comes from, and then tips on how to work through it. But as always, before we get into it, let's get over to the official what's next question and answer. Hey, what's next? Okay, empty nexters. So on Friday's episode, I talked about fearful avoidant attachment style. And this question came up a couple of times. And it's also a question I tend to get a lot of in private practice. So here we go. Hi, Lisa. My partner definitely strikes me as a fearful avoidant attacher. He tells me all the time that he doesn't like sharing a lot of his feelings and especially when things get too deep. He pulls away sometimes, even for a full day or two, I won't hear from him. How much time should I give someone to get comfortable enough to share? And I think that's such a valid question because when we meet somebody that we click with and there's so many good things, you kind of don't want to give up on that person because you want to give them some time to form an attachment and to have this safe place where they can start to share with you. And don't forget with fearful avoidant attachers, a lot of times they start a relationship really strong because they seek that intimacy and closeness. It's just when emotions start to get too intense that they would withdraw a lot of times without warning. So what I would tell you my advice here is I want you to ask yourself is your partner actively working on this are they aware of it are they actively working on it and you guys are kind of working through it together or are you just allowing it and by that I mean if every time he withdraws and ignores you for a day or two and then comes back is it addressed are you saying Um, Are you saying something about it or are you just letting it go? And I can tell you that I hope that you are addressing it because I would say something like, hey, it looks like you needed some space because I haven't heard from you in a couple of days, but can we talk about how to make that feel a little better for me as well? And I don't think that that is an out of line question. And I think being in touch with your needs and what you want in a relationship is so important in this situation. And so I would say something to him like, I need someone in my life who can communicate about the tough stuff. How can I help support you with that so it gets a little easier for you? So what you're doing is you're identifying what you need and then you're identifying that you're willing to support him with that. Once you identify and say, how can I help support you with that so that's easier, your partner has a responsibility to work through that for you but mostly for themselves and to try to make your relationship stronger and to let you guys grow together. And if they aren't ready to do that, then, you know, I would tell you that it's your choice 
to say, is this something that I accept and I'm going to allow? Or do I need someone who's ready to work on their stuff and start communicating with me? Because you can't do it alone. So when you ask me, how much time should I give? Unfortunately, I don't have a great answer for you other than this. And I've said this before, and I'm going to say it again because I think it's such great advice. If you find that you're consistently breaking up with yourself to be with somebody else, I think it's time to break up with somebody else. And I think that the more you disconnect from yourself and the more you're made to feel like you're the problem or they're withdrawing from you, the harder it's going to be on you to get out with a solid self-esteem and a sense of confidence about what you want and need. And don't forget how valuable and worthy you are. And so I would tell you just to kind of reflect. And if your person is acknowledged this and they're working on it, that's half the battle. So the questions I would ask then would be, how can I help support you with this? How can we do this together? That's okay as long as they're taking responsibility for it as well. You can't do it alone. So you've got to either accept that that's enough for you or accept and own the fact that you need somebody who's emotionally available. So I hope that helps you. If you guys have questions, email me at what's next with Lisa at gmail.com. You can find me on Instagram or Twitter at what's next with Lisa. I welcome your feedback. I want your questions. I also welcome your ideas for show topics. So if you guys are struggling with something and want me to do a show about it, let me know what it is. I'm happy to structure a show around what people want to hear. So without further ado, let's get on to today's topic, dismissive avoidant attachment. Again, sounds like a mouthful, but let's start with what it is. So usually people with caregivers who encouraged a strong sense of independence at what we would consider a premature age, so pretty young, say three, four, five, Um, For example, yelling at a three-year-old for crying because they hurt themselves and telling them not to cry, that is, that's encouraging a lot of independence and a lot of emotional maturity at a very young age. It's a lot of pressure. And so the caregivers that reward the repression of feelings, a lot of times pain, whether that be physical or emotional, they often create this, uh, well, a dismissive avoider. And they and their caregivers often have a hard time expressing their feelings. And if they have a hard time expressing their feelings or accepting that they have feelings, they're also going to have a really hard time receiving feelings. So if you come to them trying to be vulnerable and share your feelings, they're not going to be great at responding to those. They might ignore you. They might try to embarrass you or tell you that that's stupid because they have no idea what to do with feelings. They've been taught from a really young age not to have any. The first thing, um, if we go through the characteristics of a dismissive avoidant attacher is that they are highly self-sufficient and they're really comfortable or excuse me, really uncomfortable depending on or even asking people for help. Like I said, they avoid displays of feelings ranging from PDA, so holding hands or kissing in front of other people or even in private, uh, all the way down to verbal expression. So they're really closed off with emotion because remember from a very young age, 
they had the parents that praised them for being tough or if they had emotions or had a bad day, the parents said, suck it up, you've got this. And so emotions weren't discussed in their household. Emotions weren't allowed to be had in their household. So now that they're adults trying to have a relationship, they have no idea what to do with feelings or intimate attachments. And so they also often tend to have a really high opinion of themselves and they're usually really critical of others. So sometimes that can come off as narcissistic. And But the difference between a narcissist and a, and a dismissive avoidant attacher is that the really high opinion of themselves or the criticalness of others, that is all a front for a really fragile ego and a hard time dealing with criticism. So they have a really hard time dealing with criticism And if somebody criticizes or makes fun of them or makes them feel less than, rather than knowing how to process that emotion, what happens is they go right back to that feeling of shame from childhood. So even the slightest things like, hey, could you shut the front door, um, you know, when it's cold outside next time or I don't know, whatever, something simple like that, a simple request could absolutely make them be explosive or get take that really personally because you have to remember they've had caregivers and parents that may that minimize their feelings and made them think like they couldn't have any so it's a big protective measure you know and these people unfortunately don't prioritize their romantic relationships either because doing so would make feelings more important than uh, just way more important than what they would want it to be, right? So feelings are way down low on the totem pole. And if they were to prioritize a romantic relationship, in their minds, they'd be putting themselves second, their hobbies second, their friends second, and that's not okay with them. So they usually are people that put lots of hobbies or things that they do for themselves first. And make you usually know from the get-go that you are second and they're pretty verbal about wanting to be independent which I think in today's day and age we think is a is a good thing and independence is a good thing and I'll get to that in a minute but too much of one one swing of not being dependent on anybody for anything is not healthy but we'll get to that in a minute The other thing they do is oftentimes they actually deliberately try to aggravate their partner. So for example, they might answer calls and texts from someone else but ignore your calls or flirt with others in front of you. And what that does in their mind, and a lot of times it's subconscious, sometimes it's conscious, but what that does is it keeps you, their partner, at arm's length. Meaning, remember, they're not prioritizing emotions or too deep of a connection here. They're always looking for signs that their partner may be controlling them as well. So just like we talked about with anxious attachers, that they're always on the lookout for someone who is losing interest. Um, And oftentimes anxious attachers can even make things up in their head, like take a little sign and overthink it and then get really anxious about, oh gosh, this person doesn't want to be with me. However, the dismissers look for ways that someone might be controlling them or attempt to change them. And so a lot of times they'll actually make things up too, just like anxious attachers, because they are looking for a reason to connect those emotional dots. And if someone is trying to control their emotions, that takes them out of control. And that is something that's really difficult for them to deal with. 
So what do we do about this? If you're a dismissive avoidant attacher or you're dating someone that's a dismissive avoidant attacher, I've told you guys a million times, the first the first thing to change anything is that you have to acknowledge it. So you've got to realize that you're not relating to your partner on a healthy level. You also have to realize that it's okay to be independent. We want you to be independent. I always say that relationships are 100-100. Each person hopefully brings somewhat of the best version of themselves to the table and compliments each other. And so I want you to be independent. However, it is unhealthy to seek absolutely zero dependence on anybody for anything and to or to want someone to have any dependence on you because in a, in a healthy relationship both people have to trust and lean on each other and if you are dismissively avoidant or a dismissive avoidant attacher you've got too much of a wall up around emotions so you basically need to learn how to feel and know that that's okay you have to realize that you've basically been programmed to see everyone as clingy. You think that everyone's out to control you, everyone's clingy, and your independence is threatened. And just because you think that, I'm going to tell you it doesn't mean it's true. So one thing I recommend to people who aren't quite sure if people are too clingy or aren't, or maybe think they're dismissive avoidant and so they don't know how to let somebody in, I always recommend to talk to a therapist or ask a friend, ask an objective friend or somebody's advice that you trust because a lot of times in these situations you can't trust your own opinion because you have been programmed to see everyone as clingy or out to try to control you. So try to, yeah, I mean, get an outside opinion, talk to a therapist, talk to a friend, see what they think. And that brings me to my next point is that The best thing a dismissive avoidant attacher can do is try to form relationships with secure attachers. Anxious attachers, no good because anxious attachers can tend to be a little bit clingy for real and so that can drive a dismissant avoidant attacher nuts. So trying to form relationships with secure attachers that can tell you what they need Um, you know, it's not guaranteed success, but it definitely helps. And, you know, which brings me to my last question. So what if you're dating somebody who has the style? The first thing I would tell you is to really try hard to avoid ultimatums, you know, ultimatums like you either talk to me or I'm leaving. You know, that's a direct threat in their minds, whether you mean it to be or not. And it's a really quick way to end the relationship because that's just super overwhelming and it's going to cause them to say then I'm out I don't need this you know I I recommend a therapist especially if you can acknowledge and identify what this is you guys a therapist is a really good way to help somebody with this kind of attachment style or history to work through learning how to let people in and trusting their own feelings because essentially the work lies in number one learning how to feel And number two, learning to trust and know that those feelings are okay. And a therapist is a great person to help you get in touch with that. So I I mean, I would highly recommend that. You know, the other thing that you can do is, as always, be in touch with what you need and speak objectively. So stick to the facts, I always say. Um, Remember that these type of attachers can be sensitive. 
So rather than saying something like, you never put any of my needs first, I might say something like, you know, we've been dating for six months and you haven't agreed to meet my friends. What do you need to feel comfortable to do that? Put the responsibility back on them. What do you need to feel comfortable to be able to do that? And that's where they're going to have a choice to either take responsibility for what they're doing or not doing. And then again, you have a choice on whether or not that's enough for you. And the most important thing and, and the most important piece of advice I can give is that, like I said, to change anything, you first have to acknowledge it. And as soon as the person can acknowledge it, whether that be you or your partner, that's where the growth starts and that's where the work begins. And you know, something I always recommend for a lot of my private practice patients that are having a hard time getting in touch with their feelings or don't know how to trust their feelings is I recommend getting a journal and taking about 15 minutes at the end of every day and recap your day in feelings. Do that every day. And I know it sounds silly, but if you can sit and take a few minutes and recap your day in feelings, I think that's going to help you start to see and acknowledge exactly what you're feeling and exactly how often you're feeling things and if it made sense or not. Because writing things down and then reading it out loud, if you can, that would be ideal. But that gives your brain something tangible to look at. And a lot of times we're so stressed and busy throughout our day that we don't even realize how many emotions or feelings we have throughout the day. And we just kind of avoid and dismiss. And the best thing you can do to get in touch with them and learn how to accept and trust them is to start getting comfortable with them. And to do that, think about it every day. Just write them down. And you're not allowed to talk yourself out of your feelings. So when, you, when you're writing about your day, start with the morning and say things like, I was really happy when I had my coffee. It tasted good. That felt great. I was super pissed when I got to work and nothing had been done um, over the weekend. So that made me frustrated and stressed. Here's how I dealt with it. And if you can do take about 15 minutes at the end of every day and do that, you do start to get more comfortable with A, allowing yourself to feel, and B, what you are feeling. As always, though, in any relationship, you've got to be in touch with what you need. And so does your partner, you guys. You're each responsible for working on your own baggage and making sure it doesn't affect you in your relationship. You can't do it alone. So there we go. Dismissive avoidant attachment. On the next episode, we're going to get into the big one that we all strive for. What is a secure attachment? What does it look like and how do we get it? So thanks for listening, guys. If you've got questions, email me at whatsnextwithlisa at gmail.com. I want to know what you think. What do you need a little more explanation on? And I'll be happy to answer that and help. Take care of yourselves and take care of each other. And don't forget that today is a perfect day to ask yourselves, what's next? See ya.